people come in, have this idea, see that others are growing really quickly and that you are not. And then you need to figure out, okay, is there something I can do on my current product or should I completely change the idea? Welcome to the Hyper Engage podcast. We are so happy to have you along our journey. Here, we uncover bits of knowledge from some of the greatest minds in tech. We unearth the hows, whys, and whats that drive the tech of today. Welcome to the movement. Hey, greetings, everyone. This is Adil, the Hyper Engage podcast. We have our co-host, uh, Taylor Kenderson, and our very special guest, Christian. He's the CEO and co-founder of User Gems has been there for about five years with this product. Prior to this, we found him uh, with an engineering role at Microsoft, and then he was a product manager at Google as well. So we'll talk more about him. Thank you very much, first of all, uh, for taking the time, Christian. Hey, Adil. Hey, Taylor. Great to be here. Love that. Okay, so, you know, thinking of somebody uh, from an engineering background, I'm sure you had a bit of uh, real good experience, quality experience back uh, at Microsoft. And then uh, you moved as a product manager, of course, that is living closer to the product technology and, and having a longer term view on the product is, is what it takes to be a good product manager. And then you ended up uh, finding your own uh, SaaS product and mostly for the revenue teams. So uh, could you just walk us through uh, from the initial mind frame because it's all about uh, your choices, like how, like these choices basically define you. This is what I believe, I'm sure. Uh, it's just my opinion. You can uh, absolutely uh, discard this, but it's all about your choices, how you define it. So what was uh, the initial uh, work and progress days when you thought, okay, um, whether I got to go so from, from an engineering standpoint, should I go build my own product? have some experience, we would need some experience working with Google and Microsoft, and then leading that journey uh, towards uh, the user gems and how did you find that idea and everything. Oh man, that's such a long story. So the question is what to focus on. But I think for me, there's a few things. So I'm originally from Austria. So it's also actually the question how, how to get into tech. And I think it's easier now, but back then there weren't many tech startups in Austria. And then also the question, how do you actually get to San Francisco? That was really the big question. I knew I wanted to get there. It's actually not easy as a foreigner to just say, okay, San Francisco, here I am. And now I found my startup because you need to visa, you need to be able to stay there. So for me, the first step was always getting to San Francisco to be in the tech hub. And so that was, that was actually then the story of, okay, working engineering role at Microsoft, then doing my MBA in the US that totally helped getting over, then starting at Google, which helped getting to San Francisco. And then based on this, okay, now I'm in the Mecca of technology. What am I doing now? And that's where then, okay, just like everyone else here, I need to try this. I need to start my own startup. And that's really where then the, the, the founding story begins. And walk us through what that looked like. So you had an idea. What was the idea? How did you, see, did you see a problem or was it something that you initially thought of? And then how did that all come into play? I know it's such a long story, but dive into it. Like what were some of the growing pains that you faced in that and those transitions and those pivotal moments of your, your journey? Yeah. And I think it's also so interesting if you look at what we're doing now, like B2B sales and marketing solution. The first startup that we had was in a B2C space. So it was called Shell Flip. And what we did is we helped people resell products they no longer need. 
So the idea was <clears throat> we analyzed what you bought. So we went through your email inbox, analyzed what you bought, identified the resale value and told you, hey, you can resell it here. That's the price. Click a button and resell it. That came from a need. I was um, doing my MBA and had a whole lot of stuff when I moved and I wanted to sell it. And it was a pain. And so that's why we created that product. And I, I distinctly remember when, when we, we created the product, when we had the first prototype, it's like, this is it. This is so amazing. I'm like, it's so amazing for myself. Like, I want to use this myself. And I'm sure this is gonna, this is gonna explode in popularity. And it didn't. Okay. And I think this is also this is one of the lessons like that, that actually I learned in my MBA, but that I carry with me. Is like the first step is actually figuring out maybe you're just weird. And so maybe you're the only one who thinks this is a problem and who would like to have the solution. So then is developing all of this and putting hundreds of hours into this. Can you figure out whether you're just weird before you develop it? And take us through, mm -hmm. I know, we know you went uh, into YC now with Shelf Flip. So what was that? Yes. Uh, give us a little brief on, on that journey and what that looked like and then how you turned it over into now user gems and bridge that gap. Yeah, uh, and that is that also then takes a while. I always talk about the 1500 days of pain. Airbnb talks about the thousand days. I talk about the 1500 days of pain. <laughs> and in this case, it's uh, like we went into to YC. It's actually interesting how many people change their idea during YC. Basically, people come in, have this idea, see that others are growing really quickly and that you are not. And then you need to figure out, okay, is there something I can do on my current product or should I completely change the idea? And the first thing is always, okay, um, I have this idea. I really like it. So what changes can I make to quickly figure out is the thing going to fly or not? And so during these what is it, three months of YC, that's actually what we try to do. Okay, so we have this product, um, how can we make it grow? Okay, and, and it's like, the faster you can iterate. And um, that's why if you have a tech background or a tech co-founder, the main reason YC really loves this is because it enables you to iterate really, really quickly. So this means the quicker you can change a little bit and get feedback and figure out, is this it? The faster you actually get to an answer and, and the answer can be yes or no but at least you have an answer and so in these weeks it was like okay we made this iteration didn't work made this iteration didn't work made this iteration didn't work so at some point it's like okay i could iterate here forever or how can i figure out is this thing ever gonna work out and so what we did is like what's the craziest version we can think of like this whole do things that don't scale. So we just thought, okay, what is the maximum of this? And let's just do this version. And if that version doesn't work, then 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 we're done here. We should probably do something else. Great, great. And who you were taking feedback? Like, did you have like your future prospects on the line, or did you have any kind of strategic community that you were throwing your ideas and maybe doing some uh, presentation or prototype analysis with them? How did you yeah. uh, find the real cases, real time users? Yeah, um, I'm always torn here between there's, there's so many people that suggest, okay, like oh, don't even create it and just go out there with a piece of paper and get feedback. I don't know. That never worked for me. I needed to have something. So it's kind of like, never what's the, <laughs> it's like the people that give you this advice haven't done it either. They just think back and think this could work, but I've never seen anyone actually do it. 
Um, so in our case, it's really what, what is the smallest version we can do that shows it at least a little bit. The one advice, like it's also the, the, the YC partner and, and all the other YC founders are just an amazing community in terms of like, they've seen very similar things. So you go to them for advice. But the number one thing advice they would say is like, what did your users say? And the question gets really annoying, but it is the right question. Like just, in, I, I can give you my advice and it's as a, as a YC partner, it's probably a really good advice, but it's only one. So go out there, talk to your users and actually work with that advice. Yes, and how was that journey for you? Like, uh, of course, you had some beta access, like people logged in and businesses logged in for the early access, and uh, you showed them the, the minimum viable product, handed over to them. And what was that journey? What was the initial yeah. feedback, and how did the pivot? Yeah, for, for B2C, it's actually, I would say, a little bit easier in that um, because during YC, I would say you have more money than you have time. So it's kind of like, how quickly can I use Facebook advertising, Google advertising to get some traffic and, and show them some kind of version. So for us, it was always, okay, we create a new version and we put dollars on it so that we quickly get um, feedback from the users. In our case, it was, can we help you resell stuff? Like how many people connect their email inbox? And if they did that, how many then, then actually sold? And the fun fact here is that actually our latest version is like, are people actually interested in reselling stuff? Was well, actually not an app, but rather what we did is we create we we created I think a hundred boxes, went into one big building and put it in front of their door and say we sell your stuff, just put it in there. And when this didn't work, we just knew okay it's not going to work out. But it was it was still the user feedback. Interestingly, it was an offline feedback, not an online feedback. Got it. Got it. So. You know, you really validated your idea, you really tested your idea. And is it was it completely shut down at the end or like how did that how did it, how did it end? Yes. Uh <clears throat> at this point when this didn't work, we just said, okay, this is it. And I, I remember mm -hmm. where we were when we made this decision. And for us, it was it was late at night walking around, and then we finally said, Okay, this is it. This is not gonna work out. Okay. And then at this point, you just need to 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 like stop it and and we just took time off we went to mm -hmm. uh, we went to Napa um, like just a few days doing nothing absolutely nothing and then okay when we come back it's like okay let's restart this what are we doing now oh great Taylor so we've got first failure story too like we've got so many startups uh, here sharing like all the most glitters and glamorous stories <laughs> of their success and so what was lesson yeah. for you and how did it Help you to start your next startup, and you would think incredibly well at user jams. Yeah, I think that the biggest one is really this figuring out whether you're just weird, and then like how quickly can you figure that out? Like that's this is really mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm just a big fan of give me feedback as soon as possible, and I just know that the first version will not be great, but it's also really hard to see this through your own eyes. So, but actually the one thing that work, works really well for me is trying to see to someone else's eyes. And that's where you need the user feedback as soon as possible. Like I don't, interestingly, as soon as I show it to someone else, they don't even have to tell me, I now see all the flaws that I didn't see when it was just me. Exactly. The second you put someone else on there. And I think just basically, if there's one thing that I would focus on completely is um, usually let's say this information would take let's call it a month. How can I do this in a week? And then my co-founder would say, how can I do this in a day? Because mm. that's the iteration you need. 
it's, it's shaping mm. that constant feedback loop where everything is <clears throat> that quick pivot. You're taking that lean methodology in a sense, building the minimal viable product that you can and getting it out there and then receiving that quick, those quick feedback. And then really where you see some of the gaps is, can you handle the feedback or are you going to stick to your initial idea yes. and not really be open-minded to what you're receiving and what you're receiving sometimes is harsh and sometimes it's difficult to face. So can you walk us through maybe some of the initial um, feedback you got at user gems, what user gems is, what the problem is that you saw and walk us mm -hmm. through now what it is. Yeah. And before I do that, there's actually one quote that I really like. It's about Bill Gates. <clears throat> uh, one of his competitors said like, what makes Bill Gates so dangerous is that he doesn't care who's right or that he's right. He only cares about what is right. And I, like I really like, to live by that as well. Like, I, I want to figure out what is right. And I don't care if it was me who came up with that. And that's so central to really being a, a team player, not only for yourself, but you see the higher goal of, you know, what you signed up to be a part of, you're going all in. And you know that regardless of whether it's your idea, someone else's, it's just yeah. about what's right for the whatever that goal is and whatever is going to shape that. And sometimes your ego is the enemy. And if you're not able to remove that ego, um, you, you get into those conflicts where you're not able to shape, iterate, and really get grow. I feel like it's less about how good your idea is and how quickly you could iterate and shape it and get your feedback and continue to grow in that way. Absolutely. And I think it's also really interesting in this is going a completely different way, but so, so many conversations, even in Silicon Valley, even um, in the YC network is about this imposter syndrome where we always, we, we always think everyone else is better. But what's actually really interesting is we don't have to be the one that's the smartest, that suggests always the very best ideas. We just need to be the one that identifies this, who has the really good ideas, and then actually getting this out. And as you say, making sure my ego isn't in the way of the best idea to survive or to, to thrive. Great, great. And I'm loving this conversation, by the way. And this is this is same as Steve Jobs. He back in the years, early in the 90s, he never cared what everybody else has wanted. Throughout his journey, only thing that he he wanted, he knew is what he wanted to do. And whatever it takes, he will do it. No matter, you know, he talks about A players a lot. He fired a lot. A lot of a lot of people at that time used to call him egoistic and arrogant. But uh, inside him, he always knew what he wanted to do and whatever team that he needs to do to accomplish that. So it takes uh, a lot of self-belief, courage, grit to survive as, a, as, as, a, as an idealist, you know, because uh, it's your idea. You got to make sure that uh, and you've got to be willing to uh, be knocked down every other moment. Yes. And because it's your idea, people will have all their opinions uh, been put in, yeah. in, in your road. So great. So tell us more about, you know, how it originated uh, the idea for user demo, how you guys pulled back together. And was this the same guy, uh, this CTO, or was it a different team back then? Uh, so my CTO is my identical twin brother. So oh, yes, so we were working together. Up. <laughs> Don't work with family. That's the that's the epitome of that. No, no, no. Uh, we're still working together. So yes, we were working together back then. We're still working together after all these years. You know that YC always says, um, like, how like, always ask, how long have you known your co-founder? That certainly was an easy question for us to answer during the interview <laughs> process. 
Mm-hmm. So still the same person, still working in this together, working through all the, the iterations. Even, mm-hmm. even the switch from like the end of the shelf flip to user terms now took a few iterations. We had a candidate sharing network in between. So the idea was um, companies have talking to a lot of really great candidates, some are not the right fit. You can um, like share them with other companies in your network. Um, what was interesting here, or the connection here, is there was always about publicly available data. So for for Shelflip, it was about we analyze your email email inbox and then get the publicly available information of how much is an item worth. Here it's at the, about the publicly available information about candidates, and then we pivoted this idea to publicly available information about your users. And that's in really what user terms is about. So the, the idea, uh, you provide a list of your buyers, your power users, your champions, we um, identify them and track them for changes. And if anyone changes their job, the two things we do, there's churn risk on one hand because your champion leaves, so we notify customer success. And then there's a sales opportunity on the other, other end, wherever this person ends up. So that, that step, even that took a while from um, that original hiring product to then um, actually dig a small team of us um, developing a prototype for this and then that working. Great. So I do see you have uh, sort of an AI model uh, inside UserGem. So of course, you're doing some intelligence to help revenue teams, marketing team better manage their pipelines. Of course, they need organizations. They need they need to make sure they close these transfers and they have an uh, you know organized systems and or uh, maybe uh, some sort of uh, advancements inside these uh, intelligent systems. I'm sure uh, I've seen and I've used uh, things like sales, uh, Pipedrive, Salesflare, Close.io, you know, for specifically for the sales team pipeline generation. We've met uh, Dan Darcy. Uh, of uh, it, it was also for marketing teams. It was for pipeline generation. So, I mean, I was looking at your background. Your background uh, more on the product management side. His background more on the uh, on the marketing side. Dean side. He's been worked uh, at PwC, the sort of a uh, firm on the accounting side as well, like accounting firm PwC, as far as I remember. So, how did yeah. you build these technical gaps on your team, like building these AI engines to make this system, uh, this platform yeah. smarter? Yeah, we are. We actually both have a, an engineering background, so we are both developers. It's actually quite interesting because I studied engineering, and my co-founder studied business. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I did my MBA, but it's really interesting that I actually then I, I took on the role of leading the revenue team. He took on the role of, of leading the engineering team. But it was really we both were developers early on. Um, mm-hmm. Always, okay. I think what actually harder or more interesting is how we did that switch from engineering to actually leading the revenue team. I think for many people, it might be the mm-hmm. other way around, but for us, it was actually mm-hmm. like the story of the, the, the startup salesperson, like the founding salesperson, because what if you come from engineering, sales doesn't come naturally to you. Talking to customers, talking to prospects doesn't come naturally. So for walk us-, us mm-hmm. Walk us through yeah. that. Walk us through what that, that, that was like. <laughs> How did you even start? Did you like oh like look up on Google how to how to sell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you talked to you in the past tense. I'm not sure I would talk in the past tense. It's it's still a process. I'm definitely way more comfortable. <laughs> I think that's 
that's the number one lesson for everyone that starts. It does get easier and say, like, I remember how nervous I was for the first few phone calls. There was a part of me that was like, maybe they're not picking up. Maybe, and then and I was kind of like hoping for them not to pick up. And then they picked up and then I had to do my sales. But yeah, uh, Taylor, completely. There's, there's actually a really good book uh, founding sales, um, basically that, that walks you through how to best do this. And I mean, you have mm -hmm. the benefits of being a founding sales because you have the passion and you have all the in-detailed knowledge. And I think for me, it was just the passion about the product that shined through that made it a little bit easier. Let me tell you a quick story. Back in 2013, I was working uh, for a marketing, social media marketing SaaS platform, Condon Studio. I was more of leading a customer success team there. So we had like kind of uh, like four or five different uh, kind of calls every day. So one day I just uh, picked someone from uh, from the engineering team and he was always shy. Like I used to work with the product team and uh, backend developers, front-end developers, all of these taking feedback from the customers, shaping the product, making sure it's, it's done as good. So that guy always kind of, I was always uncomfortable talking to him. I said, I need to find a solution to it. So I just called him one day and I said, at 3 p.m., you're going to talk to a customer and that feature you built, he's going to just talk to you about that feature. You're just going to explain what you did. There's nothing else you're going to be talking about. So he did right. I was surprised that he did right. So one thing that I, I noticed there, like there, if an engineer has been put to sell something, that's that's he's not he's not done he's not so confident it has so much connection with the self-belief sales is uh, now i've learned sales i've done sales it is it has more to do uh more to do what what's really believing so if you believe in your offer if you believe in what you're talking about it's easy it becomes so easier and in your case if just imagine you're working for someone else and uh you have a sales role with an engineering background it will be so hard it will be so hard for you. Now you're a starter uh, co-founder yourself. You are a CEO. You know inside out of that problem that you're solving. You have a real belief in it. It becomes a lot easier talking to the customer and uh, you know, talking about that, yeah. that problem and how you can help them to make an impact. Yeah. So that was a big story. Yeah, 100% agree. I think the what what still was a big step for me is as an engineer, you think about features what do I develop versus as a salesperson, you need, you need to think about benefits for the customer. And I think this switch in like, I'm not selling you, you can do X, but you achieve Y of your goals. And that was the important switch for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is this, I mean, Simon Sinek, my, he's kind of my mentor. I've been listening to his speeches all for the last 11, 12 years. So there's a book named Start With Why. Uh, it's a very famous mm -hmm. work. So whenever you find time, just uh, just give it a read. Great. So user jam, uh, starting out with initial team, having the MVP ready, getting some initial customer, initial traction, uh, working on how you can basically set up scalable operations and take the feedback, shape the product, and at the same time, make sure you have customers. Retention of the customer becomes the biggest challenge. That, that's the first challenge for, for the marketing teams. How did you cope with that uh, in, in the beginning and where is it now? What kind of operations have you set up towards the post-sales side of your business? Yeah, I think that that was also the natural progression, I think, of my role. And probably for every CEO, but I started out being the first salesperson. I needed to be able to sell it. I always said, 
we achieved product market fit because I was able to sell it. So we were selling this, then we were hiring um, salespeople and I became kind of like the customer success manager for these early customers. And I think both of these roles are very important for the CEO to have because then you can directly see, okay, what the, what are, A, what are the pain points prospects talk about in the sales process? And then once they're sold, what are the pain points, A, that are really getting solved with the product? And then B, what are still the issues that are arising? Because then you can directly communicate it to the product team. You can make sure that maybe even the feedback loop to the sales team, maybe which customers aren't right because you're not solving their needs. So I think for us, it, it turned into my role being very big on the CS side because of this, because I think the closer you can be to the customer, the better it is for the company. Mm. Okay, it's always about staying closer to your customer, make sure you evolve with their goals over time. And they may not come all at once, like on, on a sales call on day one. And and that goes back to like the original start of when you have an idea, like what do you first do? You go to your customers. And yes. even when you're in growth, like you still have to do that, obviously in a different capacity with different resources in a different way, but you still have to continue those basic functions of what it took to even begin having the business. And I feel like sometimes it's lost when you do grow, you feel like you're too good or you're too mature to keep it simple and go back to the basics of what it even took to get off the ground in the first place. Um, and, mm. and talk about like how CS then has played a role in, in user gems and what that whole process looks like for your post-sales. Yeah. And I think I want to highlight that this is, a, this is not only CS, this is not only the CEO, but I think every single role should be talking more to the customer. And it's actually not exactly. easy. I've been preaching this and I don't think um, we even have weeks where we don't do a good job of this, but um, marketing should talk to customers. That's why you don't have product marketing, but um, engineering product should talk to customers. Like, I want to have a goal of how many hours our organization outside of the CS team talks to customers. That's actually the first process, like put this into the OKRs there. Um, in terms of CS, it, how it's it's probably still the, if I look at how I spend my week, I think the biggest part for me is spending it with customer success. And that means mm -hmm. talking about any customers where I can help, but also popping in. And like if there are, for example, any new stakeholders, um, especially if it's C-suite that joins the calls, then we try to match it and then I'll jump in as well. Mm, okay. Cool stuff. So, you know, communication engagement is always good for, for the leadership to make that make high level decisions and that can have a direct impact uh, on to, you know, making their, uh, making sure they, they evolve with their goals. It is super important uh, for the product team. So, you know, there's a lot of technology around this. Uh, I'm sure you, you talked about CSS as, as an organization-wide uh, principle, and it should be a part of operating principle, customer success. We talk about it a lot. We spoke to like uh, unicorns doing it at scale. We learned their story. And now we, we talk about, uh, you know, how we can help these startups do for the ground up. So investing into data is, is the biggest concern uh, starting up. So how you're enabling your customer facing team to stay on top of the customer activities, to know them more and to serve them better. So what kind of technologies, what's your training and management, anything that you guys are taking initiatives on? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's there's two, actually two distinct types of data here that I think are super valuable. <clears throat> so the first one is the user data, how are they using the platform, how they're not using the platform. But, but there's also the second part of data, which is actually data about the people in your customer organization. So I'll, I'll go into detail in both. So we've identified um, the four top signals that identify a customer that's very successful with us versus one that isn't. And so when we talk about the signals, this is really, this is what our CSMs go through every single week. How are these four signals? And, and they see this in the CSM platform. <clears throat> How are these four signals for every one of my customers? And if one is red, for example, in our case, it's outreach rate. So we give you, hey, these hundred people that your previous buyers changed their job. And then we look into how many of these 100 people did a customer reach out to. And if that number is uh, below 33%, then we then this in indicator is red. Mm -hmm. And our, uh, like our uh, discussions are how can we make sure they reach out to more people? So we have these four mm -hmm. um, indicators. And every single week, we look for each customer. We look at all of these four. So of course, uh, when it comes to exceptional behaviors and patterns, of course, you have standardized, uh, you can say, metrics or rules or conditions. So how you measure uh, those exceptional patterns and how you basically customize those uh, those signals or, or you can say rules for them as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure we do that yet in a, in a good fashion. I think it's more around... I think we're still in that do things that don't scale phase of it, where we don't mm -hmm. have, we have, we have B2B customers, so we don't have hundreds of thousands of customers where we need to filter down, mm -hmm. but rather we're in a CSM model, you have up to 50 customers, you can Got go it. through every mm -hmm. single week, every single customer. Mm -hmm. You're talking about SMBs, like mostly small businesses to mid-market, or are you talking about slightly medium to large-scale enterprise? Yeah, for us, customers typically 200 to 2,000 employees. So mid-market mm -hmm. and then a little bit on, on both ends, some as well. Up-market. Okay, cool. So you go on, please, uh, for the second part. Um, the second part, which I think is so interesting because it became so much more important over the last six months, is actually um, identifying and tracking people in your customer accounts for movement. And we've seen both right now. So it's obviously there. There's there's there are like these rifts that are be that are, that are happening at my customer account. So it could just be that my champion is suddenly gone, and I I don't even hear about this because they're just gone one day to the next. So, uh, but if my champion's leaving, this is this is right. It's the second biggest reason for churn. So I need to make sure that if this happens, I immediately know about this and I go in and I generate a new champion. The worst that can happen is if I send a renewal email, hey, you're going to renew in 30 days and this email bounces or I don't hear back and I send a follow-up and I don't hear back and then I realize the person is gone. So the first thing we do is we check every single customer account, every single champion to see who's leaving that account. But the second mm -hmm. piece is also really interesting. It's actually who's moving into my customer accounts. Because if there's mm -hmm. a new decision maker, the first thing they do is evaluate yes, yes. what tools do I need? So we've also seen scenarios where there's a new VP of RevOps or a new CMO and suddenly every no tool is safe. It's like, I'm going through that list. And the last thing you want is receiving an email from them and say, we got a churn without ever having talked to you. So if there's a new decision maker moving in, we immediately get in touch with them. Mm, cool stuff.
cool stuff. And and that is very, very important. And this happens a lot, like, uh, especially on the, and this, these are so many indicators, like you mentioned, that you can set it up and make sure you get that data in the first place before that customer <laughs> gets it. And uh, you have a notification that, you know, they're almost gone. So and, uh, when it comes to uh, product adoption, like, you you spoke about standardized rules and uh, you you can make it playbook. So what kind of uh, data metrics are you guys tracking to make sure your customers are well adopted and, uh, and then the usage metrics are pretty much mainstream? We actually, so we're sales and marketing. Our goal is to generate revenue for you. Um, so the biggest mm -hmm. metrics for us is actually how much revenue have we generated for you? And then how much pipeline have we generated for you in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all of our rules are based on this of, okay, um, what is their revenue that the closed one opportunities or the opportunities created? And then if, if it's lower than it should be, then we look into what else can we suggest, what else can we do for them to increase this number? So this means mm -hmm. we then have automatic messaging if any of these indicators are below where they should be, we're like, here's our suggestion, do this. Um, we, we, let's make it a working lunch. We pay you lunch and we'll work on this together. Uh, do it in an hour. How are mm -hmm. you managing those, those signals? And then who is managing those, those signals? Yeah. It's the CSM manager on our end. So he's, he's setting everything up. Um, we have CS solution, he's plan hat. Um, that then sends out these notifications to the individual mm -hmm. CSM that's assigned. Every every account has a CSM assigned. So you're using Planhat for your customer facing team, and uh, the back end, your product manager set up everything in the segment, like all those events, custom events uh, that you pass and map into uh, Planhat. I'm glad that you're from an engineering background, so you understand all of this. Uh, you know, segment and amplitude part. Mixed panel, there has to be a segment or amplitude for, you know, to pipe all the data into the other platforms uh, like yeah. Planhat. We use Salesforce as a CRM, but actually also at our, as our data storage. So a mm. lot of the signals, even any usage signals is getting pushed into our Salesforce. And because of this, it gets pushed into our CS software. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I think that, the interesting part about Salesforce, everyone uses it as a CRM, but its actual power is that every sales, every so many organizations use it as this data storage that then gets pushed into other systems. It's a source of truth, yes. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Great. So how big is your team now? We're talking about post-sales team, like support, technical or customer support, uh, and customer success teams. Yeah, so customer success is six people at the moment, including manager. Six people. And we have RevOps as well. Like we have internal RevOps, but they are kind of like our secret weapon for both pre and post sales. Um, if they Got come it. into a sales conversation, we have much higher win rates. And obviously, Absolutely. they are then the ones that help with implementation. They've seen it dozens of times. They've done it in our organization. So they can get in and help really, really quickly and talk with a stakeholder, the RevOps person, that is very similar to them. Mm -hmm. So there are two uh, opportunities I see looking at user jam, like uh, it's more tailored towards uh, revenue teams and marketing teams. So amongst your customer base right now, uh, are those more revenue teams or more marketing teams or is just the complete balance? Yeah, it's, I mean, our whole goal, even where we want to go with user terms as a platform is actually to better help sales and marketing orchestrate their activities. 
And that's why we always want to work with both marketing and sales and actually CS. But we want that whatever sales does, if we identify a job change and the SDR reaches out, that at the very same time, marketing advertises to this person. It needs to happen. Our attention span is too short. If I just get an email, I ignore it. I need to get a thousand touch points across marketing, LinkedIn, phone call, email, and it needs to be orchestrated so that I actually identify, like I can, I can understand what the company does based on not one yeah. touch points, but actually 10 that add up. Glad. I'm glad that you mentioned it because we talk so much about sales to CS relationship, sales to CS uh, integration, uh, because of course sales work for CS just like marketing uh, works for sales. So it has to be a strong integration between marketing and sales. And, uh, and in your case, it is because the marketing teams are using it, using the platform. So, and I'm glad that you have some pre-sales team as well that are more with the revenue team, the revenue side experience so they can translate and they can have talk in the same language uh, with these revenue teams yes. and close deals faster. This is what Eulogem does. I love the model. So what is, uh, how do you think the future for, for UserGem, like in the next two years, what are the key breakthroughs that you're looking up to, maybe some of the milestones? Mm -hmm. It's actually really doubling down on the sales and marketing orchestration. So what I mean by this, even what we're doing right now, like when we identify a job change, it's not about the data. We, we live in a world where we say data is table states. It's all about the workflow, what happens next. And our platform helps you automate as much as possible of this, what happens next. And, and so this means that, let's say if they join a target account, an SDR should reach out and marketing should advertise. If they join an open op account, then an AE should reach out or get notified mm. and marketing should advertise. Yes. If they join a customer yes. account, it's CS that should be notified, that CS should be doing something. And there are more mm. and more of these, uh, like the, changes the data that is available about your target or your customer organization where you should then act on it and we help yes. you identify the data but actually help you act on it that's like it's all about yes. the workflow and the orchestration it's yes absolutely so i second that you know data is only valuable that when it drives the next perception yes it's it's all about it so it has to drive action great love that so you want to double down on the sales so uh, what do you think you should have done better in the past? Are you now going to do better towards uh, achieving that goal? Yeah, so it's so we are so focused on like I, I keep repeating this, but it's about like we we start out with tracking your champions for changes, right? And then we tell you, hey, SDR, reach out to this person. But the next step is actually this multi-threading that you need. So I give you an example: if there are three people that use user chance at this organization. And then they move to another organization. I have now three champions, but I also have, let's say, their manager or their colleague in marketing that I can reach out to. So in addition to these three people, I should reach out to their boss and say, hey, John and Jennifer previously used user chance. Talk to them about their experience. And then I also reach out to marketing and say, hey, your sales colleagues already used user chance, but we also always work with marketing. And so we want to bring them in into the, into the pre-sales conversation. We do the same um, during an open right. opportunity. So we have found that customers. if we multi-thread, so, so we do it for open up, we also do it for customers, but this, this multi-threading, we found win rates increase 5x if we bring in 
all three stakeholders, sales, marketing, operations. Mm. So now, um, now we get ourselves get notifications that say, hey, there's no marketing involved. Here is the VP of marketing, bring them in. And bring them in means sales reaches out, marketing advertises to them. Mm. Okay, so you have like, how much of this is automated? Like uh, how much of this is scalable? This is what I'm trying to figure out. Like if I leave UserJam, I go into another platform, let's say Catalyst or any other platform. And their, their, their sales team, of course, they're using some other platform. And uh, you reach out to head of sales there, one of your team uh, members reach out to head of sales and they get, come to me have a discussion. How much of this is uh, automated? How would you get to know where I left automatically? Of course, yeah. right now it's possible you have like six, seven, 10, 15 people. Once you have like 200, 250, 300 people, how would I get to know? Do you have any integration with, with, with LinkedIn? You get any external data sources inside your platform for your customers? I'm just mm -hmm. talking about the use case. Yeah, so we get... We get the user information from our customer, so who buys the product, who uses the product. <clears throat> we then combine it with the publicly available information, like data on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. okay, data on Google, and that then push. And then there's this automation happening into Salesforce, into Salesloft, and outreach, so that there are immediately sequences being triggered. Mm -hmm. Got it. Opportunity is created. Like this right. comes in as what? an opportunity. Yes. It depends on the customer. Some for some it does, for some it doesn't. Mm, great, love that. And this this entire experience is already built, or is it on the roadmap? Yes. So a big part of this is is built, um, and then we add more and more of these automation steps. What else can be? And automation is always a little bit scary. We don't want to automate everything, and you don't even need a salesperson. Um, but what would we actually big? Uh, fans of is if you automate pushing it into an outreach uh, uh, sequence or cadence. You automate you automate in a, in a in a way that it only gives you the next next section. Maybe you can act. You can have yes. your own intelligence and you can put your own strategy into it. It just gives you triggers or maybe uh, alerts yes. of sorts. Exactly, and that yeah. a lot is that is that is a half of the job. <laughs> so yes, exactly. Okay, uh, Christian, it was real, real, real nice uh, talking to you. It was, you know, it, it came with a lot of different stories uh, that are unique to any other episode that we ever had uh, in the past one year. So thank you very much uh, for your time, for these concrete, uh, insightful uh, nuggets that you gave us today. And uh, we wish to meet you again. Awesome. Hey, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you, Christian. Likewise. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so very much for staying with us on the episode. Please share your feedback at adil at hyperengage.io. We definitely need it. Uh, we will see you next time with another guest on the stage with some concrete tips on how to operate better as a customer success leader and how you can empower engagements with some building some meaningful relationships. We qualify people for the episode just to make sure we bring the value to the listeners. Do reach us out if you want to refer any CS leader. Until next time, goodbye and have a good rest of your day.